give to organization, you give to the missionaries, and that allowed them to share the gospel. God has brought honor here. And we're going to support him. We're going to encourage him. We're going to walk with him. And we're going to see God get glory among their people in Cincinnati. That video was of Amir and Vicky Safidi, and they are missionaries with the North American Mission Board, and they are working to start a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, among Arabic-speaking um, people. And as you know, um, during this Easter season, we are taking up our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, 100% of which goes to support missionaries just like them. We're also praying for a missionary family every single week um, that we're taking up the offering. And today happens to be our, our last Sunday for this. So let me just share a couple ways that you can be praying for the Safidis. They've asked us to pray to have favor with the Arabic-speaking peoples um, they meet and for God to orchestrate those meetings and for the Arabic language church in Cincinnati to continue to grow in reaching its city and beyond. Let's pause and, and pray for that couple. Father, we praise you for calling your people out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you that you are using these servants, your, your people, in particular the Safidis in Cincinnati, where we pray that you would give them great effectiveness at building relationships, at sharing the gospel, at, at preaching the truth, we pray, Lord, that you would do the same thing right here in Hallsville. Lord, we pray that you would use Hallsville Baptist Church as a great lighthouse here in Hancock County for your glory and for your namesake. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't walk away the same we would be changed forever because of your love and your faithfulness. Lord, hide me behind the cross and help me to be faithful and help me to be God-glorifying this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, entertainment speaking, we are living in a time of unoriginal ideas. I'm sure you've noticed, just like me, but it seems like every other movie and TV show is just a remake, um, is just a reboot 
of a previous popular movie or a TV show. I looked it up on imdb.com and apparently since 2018 until today, there are somewhere around 125 movies that have already been remade and, and rebooted or are in the works of being remade and rebooted. Now these aren't sequels, these are complete reboots of, of previous movies just with a different cast and a different theme um, to them, but it's the same story. So why are we drawn into telling the same story over and over again? I mean, think about it, Spider-Man. How many times have we seen Peter Parker become Spider-Man in movies? Um, four, at least, that I can count of um, since um, the movie came out with Tobey Maguire in the, in the early um, 2000s. Why are we drawn to this, this retelling over and over again of the same story, probably for different reasons, some of which I can't think of, but one I did think of. One reason I'm sure is because deep down, we too want a reboot. Deep down, we want a do-over of our lives. We want a chance to be able to live the story again. In his devotion book, New Morning Mercies, Pastor and biblical counselor Paul Tripp tells a story about a man that he counseled. And this man was ate up with regret. He was an ambitious, ambitious person who had given just full-throated effort his entire life to his career. Unfortunately, at the expense of his family, eventually losing his marriage and his family in the process. And this man kept saying to Tripp, I wish I could go back and have it all again. I just wish I could press that button and have a do-over. Have you ever heard yourself thinking that? Have you ever heard yourself telling other people that you would like to go back and do it again. I think we've all been there because I think we all have this problem of regret in our life. We crave a second chance and we don't know how exactly to find one. This morning we're going to discover how God, through his son Jesus Christ, can give you a second chance. If we'll only trust in him, and if we'll only follow him. In today's passage, we'll see how this was true of the original disciples, and among them especially true of Peter. And I think we'll all be able to see ourselves in Peter. We can find a lot of commonality with him. So before I read the passage, let me remind you about where we are this morning. We're concluding a sermon series called The Passion that we've done for the Easter season. And last week, of course, for Easter, we heard about the glorious resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. After the resurrection, Jesus continued to appear to his followers for 40 days until he ascended back up to heaven. 
to be at the right hand of his father. And today we're going to hear in God's word about the third appearance of Jesus to his followers. The passage is John chapter 21 verses 1 through 19. And I expanded that a little bit more than what's in your bulletin. Think in the bulletin it says verse 14. We're going to go through verse 19. So we're going to have a longer passage to read this morning. So I'll invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We are coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it all in because of the large number of fish. The disciples, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. When they had got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, even though there were so many the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When, he, when they had eaten breakfast, John, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved and he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you wherever you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. 
After saying this, he told him, follow me. This is God's holy word. So the disciples had gone back to Galilee. Galilee being, for several of the disciples, their home region. It was also the area where Jesus came from. He had worked most of his miracles in the area in the north called Galilee, kind of away from the metropolitan area of Judah where Jerusalem was. His three-year public ministry all happened in Galilee. And there was a lake there called the Sea of Galilee, which in John's gospel is called the Sea of Tiberias. So in our passage, we find the disciples back home in Galilee on the sea. Now, at least four of the disciples were commercial fishermen by trade. Jesus had told them to go back to Galilee after the resurrection and wait for him there. And they would receive more instructions when he appeared to them. And when they arrived, there was a, a, a delay in time. So Peter announced to the others, I'm going fishing. Basically, who's going with me? And six of the disciples joined Peter to get in the boat to go fishing. They had been out on the boat all night, and they had caught nothing. And at this point in the commentaries, there's sort of a difference of opinion. Some think that the disciples were being very disobedient for going back and fishing because this was abandoning the mission that Jesus had, had given them by going back to their previous occupation, at least for some of them, their, their previous occupation. While other commentators say, no, that, that's too severe. Um, they probably weren't completely abandoning the mission and being disobedient on purpose. They may have just needed lunch. They may have just needed breakfast. They were just out there uh, fishing. I think probably the answer is, is somewhere in the middle. While I don't think they were being deliberately disobedient and going fishing, I think, though, they had lost their passion already. They had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. He had already appeared to, to them. The, the new age of the Spirit and the, the resurrection had, had dawned on them. Where is the passion? Where, where is the purpose? Where is the mission? It, it's just not there among the disciples. They had become kind of lukewarm already in their commitment to Christ. So there you have it. Seven of the disciples had been out on the lake all night long, and still they had not caught any fish. It was morning. They were about ready to, to come on in when they saw someone on the shore who had appeared on, on the shore. And he called out to them, have you caught any fish? And they were like, no. Put the nets on the right side of the boat, and there you'll find a catch. Not knowing it was Jesus, I'm sure their attitude was, well, we don't have anything to lose. Let's just do as this person has asked us to do. And when they put out the net, the catch was so big that they could not haul the net into the boat. 
They counted the fish when they got to the shore, and it was 153 fish, just a, a massive catch of fish. And then the disciple, Jesus loved, who tradition says is, is John, the writer of this gospel, said, it is the Lord. Peter, always impulsive, just jumps into the water and he swims over to the seashore to see Jesus, leaving the rest of the disciples to, to haul in this big catch. And then finally, when they get to the shore, there's a charcoal fire there and, and Jesus is preparing breakfast for all of the disciples. And, and they're able to have breakfast together again, just like old times, just like they, I'm sure, had had breakfast many, many times with Jesus over the last three years prior. Now, before moving on, what are we to make of what's happened in this passage thus far? One point is clear. There's probably a lot of truth. But one point is clear. Jesus was giving his disciples a second chance just days before this, they were scattered, they were running, they were scared. They had forgotten the mission. They had disbelieved the promise of Jesus that he was going to be resurrected from the grave. They, they left him behind when, when Jesus was arrested. They weren't supposed to go back to the way things were, but it looked like they had. They were supposed to go forward. They were supposed to preach the gospel. They were supposed to lead the church to be fishers of men, as God had called them to be fishers of men. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, verse 19, when Jesus called some of his first disciples from that same seashore, as they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee then, he said to them then, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Now it comes full circle. After this huge haul of fish, they're reminded of their purpose. They're recommissioned by Jesus Christ as fishers of people. With this huge catch, Jesus was reminding them that all they had to do was simply trust in him. Obey him in the small things, something as small as putting their nets on the right side of the boat, and in the big things of leaving their, their families and their homes to go out and to do God's will. And if they were willing to do that, and they would never lack God's provision and protection. And it's the same with us. God calls us to leave it all. Maybe not literally, but literally in our hearts. Being willing to surrender everything else to the calling that God has given us to follow Jesus Christ. To become fishers of people. So this whole scene represents to the disciples 
a recommissioning, a, a second chance that, that God, through Christ, had given them in his resurrection. And then it gets even more personal with Peter. After breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside. Now, now Peter, like the other disciples, had abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. They were running afraid, running scared, but the depth of regret had to be even greater for Peter. Because I'm sure, as you know, Peter, as Jesus was on trial, stood in the courtyard, and he denied Jesus three different times. Denied even knowing Jesus. Denied belonging to Jesus. So Jesus pulls him aside and begins to ask him a series of questions. Do you love me more than these? Now what was Jesus talking about when he said these? There are two options. One, he could have been talking about the other disciples who were fin finishing up their breakfast. Do you love me more than these other men? Another option is he's talking about the fish on the charcoal fire that he had prepared. I think more than likely he's actually talking about the fish on the charcoal fire. Because in the courtyard, when Peter denied Christ, he was warming himself up around a charcoal fire. And I tend to think Jesus was tying his question to Peter, do you love me more than these? To his former, former way of life, his occupation. So the question might have been, Peter, do you love me more than your occupation, than your work, than your livelihood? than your family business that you've invested so much in over the years? Do you love me more than your previous hopes and dreams? Either way, Jesus is calling Peter to love him more than anyone or anything else in his life. And, and each time Jesus asks this question, Peter says, you know that I love you. And it gets to where he feels heartbroken that Jesus would ask him three different times. And Jesus would answer back, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. So there, in this, this scene, you get the purpose that we have as disciples. We're both fishermen those who reach out and tell the gospel to those who have yet to believe Jesus, to bring them in, and then we're shepherds of the sheep. We're to tend them and take care of them and to help them grow up in their faith as followers, as disciples of the Lord. And in pulling Peter aside for this personal conversation, we hear a message to him and to us. And it's about regret. And the message is this. Through Jesus, God is giving you a second chance. So many times our regret, that feeling inside of us where we want to feel like we 
We need to go back. We need to, we need to do over. It feels like a self-imposed purgatory where we have to stay in that regret, kind of punishing ourselves until we pay back the wrongs that we've committed in the past. But Jesus will have none of that. He doesn't even reference the previous denials of Peter. He does not tell him that he needs to go and atone for his sins and his failings in some way. He simply asks Peter, do you love me? And he calls him anew to obey him and follow him. And that's how the conversation ends with Peter, isn't it? There in verse 19, after saying this, he told him, being Peter, follow me. Leave the past behind. Let me deal with your past. All you worry about is the present. And you go and follow me and love me. And that's something that we can control, isn't it? So much of life we don't control. But that's one thing that we can control. Every day we can wake up in the present and make it our, our choice and our commitment to love him and to follow him. And if we do that, we're going to live a life of purpose that God wants us to live. To close, let me give you two promises this morning that will help you close your regret. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, has a great promise about regret. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. Now, Joel is a prophet in the Old Testament. We aren't 100% sure when the book of Joel was written. But reading the book of Joel, this much is clear. The people had been disobedient to God. And God had disciplined them by sending locusts on their crops. And now, through Joel, God was promising the people that if they would just turn back to him, he would restore those years that they had lost because of the locusts that had came to destroy their crops. Simon Peter believed in that promise because as the rest of the New Testament shows us, he did follow Jesus. And God turned Simon Peter from this cowardly, impulsive disciple who denied him three times into a spirit-empowered apostle who was one of the leaders of the early church. He was a, a pastor and an elder. He was that primary preacher along with John who stood up on the day of Pentecost and boldly proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He became the writer of, of two letters in the New Testament that God used him, inspired him to write. 
He believed in that promise. Do you believe in that promise? Or are you living in the fallout of your regret this morning? Do you feel like you have to punish yourself because of something that you have done in the past? Have you been able to let it go and let past be past and trust in God's forgiveness? Are you confident that that he loves you and wants to use you in the present and in the future? If not, this promise is for you. And the second promise I want to give you is about the cross. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. And it's on the cross that God forgets our sins. Jesus carried the weight of our sin. He was punished for all of those wrongs that we regret, all of those things that we have done to disobey God fell on Jesus Christ. And God's wrath was put on him so that now, through faith in Jesus, God's wrath that we rightly deserve is turned to favor in our lives because Jesus already paid for it so that we don't have to. We can let it go and like in Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I press forward to what is ahead. Through the cross, that can be our testimony. Is it your testimony this morning? Are you able to let it go and receive God's abiding forgiveness and love? One final re- reminder, though. Repentance is required for a second chance. Repentance is required for a second chance. We've actually already sang about this this morning when we sang the blessing. That was quoting partly from a section of the Old Testament, actually in the Ten Commandments. Let me just read that to you. This is Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 5 and and then continuing on into verse 6. Do not bow in worship to them, talking about idols, and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So there you have it very plainly. God will not be mocked. Forgiveness and second chances will be given, but only to those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. It's through the cross and through the cross alone that we can be forgiven. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. 
God cannot accept them to atone for our sins. Only Jesus accomplished that. And it's only through us turning from our sins 180 degrees to follow Christ and to trust in what he did in the cross that we receive the grace of forgiveness. Salvation is a free gift, but we have a choice to make. To receive it, we have to repent and trust in Christ. And if we don't, according to Exodus, there is a punishment and accountability for our sins that awaits. So there is no second chance apart from repentance and faith. Repentance is required to get a second chance. And to those who do repent of their sins and follow Christ, it's not like they just get one second chance. They get second chance after second chance after second chance as God molds them to be the people that he wants them to be. Is that you? Are you experiencing God's grace in your life? And if you aren't, then why not? Why not turn from your sins this morning? Why keep going in the same old way, living in that regret and that guilt and that shame? Why not let Christ lift the burden this morning by turning to him in faith? He invites you to do that. And believer, if you're dealing with regret this morning, he invites you to come to him anew and enjoy the purpose and the mission that he has for you. He's going to do wonderful things in your life. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we praise you because you threw our sins in an ocean of your grace so that they could be forgotten. We thank you that we don't have to carry them anymore. The weight of the curse, the law, it was all laid on Christ. We praise you, Lord. You are wonderful. You are merciful. You are forgiving. And I pray, Lord, if there is any sense in anyone's mind here today that you are a mean and vindictive God, I pray, Lord, that you would renew that mind and change that heart and show that person who you really are, a God of love, grace, and compassion. But at the same time, if there's someone here today who's still living their life on their own terms, in their own strength, denying your grace, Lord, I pray that you would soften that heart before it's too late because you are a God of justice. 
Lord, I pray that you would bring that person into your kingdom today. Do a marvelous work in all of our minds and all of our hearts. Give us a second chance, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand?